all your school rugby all in one place. This is Next Gen 50. Hello and welcome to this week's Next Gen 15 podcast. I'm Angus Savage and alongside me back in the hot seat, Dan Richards. How are you doing, Dan? Nice to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Again, lots with an incredible St. Joe's Festival and lots of other great rugby to talk about. Uh, really excited to get back get back going and get talking. Uh, and sorry I couldn't be here before, but I'm sure I know Will did a great job. So it's uh, thanks for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> of course, anytime. Um but no, a few bits of admin to get through before we get started. You can follow us on at NextGen15 on all sorts of things. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Apparently now YouTube has handles like that as well, so you can find us there. And YouTube, of course, is where you can find the video of this podcast and you can listen to us on Acast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, we've got some news to get through first. I mean, we're going to take a sort of dive in on the... Um, St. Joe's and Merkston festivals, uh, above all else, but also some cracking fixtures that have been going on. But we've got a few bits of news to get through, uh, one of which is a very exciting one here at Next Gen 15, which is the Next Gen 15 Spring League. Um, you probably don't know too much about this one, Dan, but we've been sort of behind the scenes, we've been doing a bit of work with, um, with Gordon School, talking about finding a space for people who are competitive rugby players, maybe sevens isn't their game, Spring term, there's a few fixtures knocking around, and just for those guys who, you know, perhaps you tight five forwards in some cases, but who just need, you know, to find some space for these lads to be allowed to play a bit of rugby with their school, um, and we're just looking to create an opportunity where it may be that some teams send an under seventeen side, some send, you know, a, a, a very good under sixteen group, some send a second fifteen, whatever it might be, but just a way of creating that space for kids to be able to get out and play a bit of rugby in the second term because obviously there's a lot of schools knocking around that have fixtures but there's it's a much less formal look in that second term so the idea is just to create little hubs where everyone can play within a group of uh, within a group around them geographically um, whatever level they feel comfortable at um, and then the idea being to create a, um, a little mini league for them and then create maybe a bit of a finals day somewhere you know, towards the end of term, um, at a, you know, it's a Twickenham stoop or somewhere like that. Just that opportunity to give kids a chance to play, you know, when there's a lot of other commitments going on and just trying to trying to find a structure to what is already a sort of loose few fixtures knocking around and just try and create a bit of something special for those guys that are maybe coming through. Yeah, that, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I mean, you've always had your historic one-term, two-term schools. And it's how yeah. Rotten Park used to be split and those I guess that's been eroded a bit with other precious things like I know historic two-term schools like Whitgift will battle with Academies League and stuff like that and you probably now have lots of rugby for your elite performer in that in that January to March window I think what this seeks to open is for you know if you're not at a two-term rugby playing school you know what 15 aside rugby playing school just chance to develop or and or you don't play at a club because that would be the RFU club window obviously yeah. that there's you know just a chance and the more we can get young boys and girls playing like that then the more the better they're going to get I think you get much better by playing and so things like this is just fantastic the more we can do to get young people out of pitch enthused about rugby finding appropriate levels of competition something we've talked about um a lot over the past like couple of podcasts is and this sounds like it's going to be trying to do that in a in a really imaginative creative way by you don't have to be 
age group for age group it could be you know an under 17 team pitched against a development team pitched against a second team that it just sounds fantastic really exciting and again the sort of thing that that you guys are doing to, to help push the game on which is which is just great to see yeah i mean the hope is that it's going to be it's just going to be a great way of you know as you say allowing allowing kids to get out and just play the game um, and play it in what will be competitive but relaxed is kind of the yeah. uh, the mode that we're we're trying to we're trying to run with it. Um, open to all schools, so give us a shout. You can get in touch with me, Angus Savage at nextgen15.com um, if you want to talk about it. Also, feel free to contact Jamie Harrison over at Gordon's, but um, don't pester him too much. He's got a lot going on. You pester me, and then I'll get <laughs> I'll get him in touch. Another big bit of news, there's all sorts of news going on at the moment. Rugby school, their bicentenary celebrations, 200 years of the game. If rugby school is celebrating 200 years, we're all celebrating 200 years. Um, That's coming up in 2023, um, and we're going to be doing loads and loads of things with them. It's all launching in a big way over the course of the next week, but they're going to have events right the way through 2023, uh, including in the busiest week on the school calendar, following Rosslyn Park in the day before Sedba Tens they have an international sevens tournament uh, going on on the Saturday and Sunday uh, in that little window there teams from all over the country in all over the world rather coming uh, I think they've got teams from Japan they've got teams from Canada as well as your sort of more traditional rugby tourists coming across it's going to be um, it's going to be very cool they've got loads of other stuff as well there's a recreation of the game going on in June um, but it goes right the way through 2023, so it's not really a rugby season. It's a it's a calendar year, um, including all of their. I think we're live streaming all of their games in 2023. It's going to be madness, but it's going to be good madness. Um, but it's just a really special thing. I mean, there's something quite special about rugby school anyway, because it's the you know it's the home of the game. Um, almost terrifying that it's 200 years of celebration because I'm sure I remember vividly the 175 um, but it's going to be it's going to be very cool and there's going to be all sorts going on so keep your eyes out for more news on that um, but the thing I, I want to get your your take on Dan I guess it's sad news um, is is wasps going their demise um, following following on the heels of of Worcester Warriors and I guess our take on, on these things always is the the impact it has on the academy players um it's just a really tough situation for all and kind of sitting around waiting for news basically yeah look, it's it's horrible and first of all if anybody is listening who attached to the club you know played in the junior section or what you know our, our thoughts go out to you as that same as we said around worcester i think you know lots of again lots of people who listen will be involved in the game and they'll probably know people you know either they'll have if they're kids you'll have mates who might be involved in the academy or you know, parents who've got kids there or coaches who, who know guys involved in the academy i know we will both be in that boat we'll you know we know guys in the last week who, who've lost their jobs and it's uh, as as it was at worcester and that's really sad um it's sad for everybody you know it's sad yeah. for you for, for the for the top guys as well we're not but it's as you said they kind of I guess with that kind of that focus on the more academy end of thing, you know, the people I really worry about, I guess, at this stage are going to the Wasp Academy in the last few years and you're not Charlie Atkinson, Jacob Maga yeah. or Barbary. Not I'm saying it isn't hard for those guys. Of course it's ridiculous it's really hard and it's emotional but you'd be hopeful. You'd hope guys, that they'd find it they'd find a space somewhere you know, else. I, 
you know, you're looking at, you know, you guys like, you know, really, you know, Kofi Crips going in last year, one of the most exciting, in last year, one of the most exciting was last few years, like, where's he going to land? Uh, Ricketti, Marcy White, you know, who, who could well have been in the conversation for our, for the 12 position that, that we're going to talk about later. Um, you know, Greg Fissilow, like, boys like this and you were and this is where you know it links to you know i've seen austin healy talking with me tonight about you know academies that direct links with unis you know you look on there and to directly contrast them, you know two props there you know you suddenly have robin hardwick a really mm. good young prop finds himself without a club um where at least isaac Kiada, another really good young both came through rugby school that <laughs> you just talked about so yeah. nice little um um who's on a university contract, you know, at least Isaac now, yes, he doesn't have a professional club, but he's he's got a, an outlet for his rugby and, yeah. and a shop window. It, it does, I think, begin to pose that question of should there be kind of compulsory university courses? Yes, guys have to be in some sort of course, but is it at a, does it have a rugby playing link? You know, things like that. Should we be, with Buckley being so strong, should we be pushing that? Even more, and I know that again, the RFU have got to go before a select committee uh, in the next couple of weeks um, as a PRL. Um, <laughs> That'd be interesting. Um, yeah, so they've been pulled in by the, cult- the Department for Culture, Media and Sport um, to basically answer for what's happened. And I wonder whether, you know, things having like better sort of parachutes, I guess, for this yeah. sort of situation, for you know, where are those guys going to play, particularly those guys who don't have, you know, don't have agents maybe some of those young guys who yeah. who and certainly haven't got an established first team career where do they land as well as for us where what happens now to the guys aged 14 to 18 who are on a pathway or, or were on a pathway until last week um and it's particularly worrying for that region you know with two regions you know geographically that, that essentially border each other uh, in parts you know there's there's a worry that there's a big hole to fill now um well, yeah, I mean, our, our sort of one of our potential solutions was that Wasp might be able to mop up a section of the of the Worcester um, region, and and that obviously can't happen. It's a it's a big concern on that front. No, and I'd assume if they're not going to come back as if they're going to have you know, and this is all this complicated stuff around P shares and stuff that we don't need to talk about in here. But there's whether they'll maintain academy status. So if we for a minute assume they won't you know, the, the boundaries are going to have to be completely redrawn yeah. for the existing Prem Academies that's also going to be a huge amount of people for people in all sorts of academies all of a sudden you could be in Gloss Academy and you could be a Bristol Bears player and what happens there and, and how they, so this this has connotations for all sorts of people and all sorts of players and particularly those who are involved in academy pathway um so yes it's a a worrying time but again particularly hearts go out to anybody who was involved with the club like it's it's a horrible time to see and and rugby really needs a good news story there's plenty of them in the scoreboard game um so it's a good place to look for good we're certainly going to come on to a few in a bit yeah yeah but it's um you know it's rugby's in need of it and and the game will find a solution. I believe it's too big to go pop, um, just about. Um, so it's there's, but we need to we need an answer to, to what's happening, and it'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the good news is um, there was a statement from the RFU about about everything, and included in the statement was the fact that they they are committed to finding a solution, particularly for people on the pathway. 
Um, obviously, they've not got specifics on that yet. Um, but I think promising signs that they're going out of their way to make sure that they make that point. Um, but it is, it is a challenge. I mean, the one thing, the key thing that keeps popping up to me, and there'll be 11 academies out there that are about to scream and shout at me, but there is, there is always the possibility that the RFU takes over academy work as a whole and just goes, look, this is a, this is a stretch on resources too far. We can do this as an organization as a whole. Um, and you create something quite fun, like a draft. Um, yeah, you know, we're looking for ways to spice the game up. Perhaps that could be one. Yeah, I think that's good. I thought again, completely stealing like Austin Hilly's idea from Rugby Tonight. You know, there was his suggestion of again, he get rid of academies and you join either a university or a championship club, and they are each of those bucks. So you have a ten team league, a ten team championship, ten team buck super. You entry level for professional rugby is championship or buck super. Yeah. Um, and each prem, and then each prem club is affiliated in one championship and one university side. So you're not forcing people to be in, in edge to be in, you know, higher education if they want to be. You want people to be doing some sort of other skill, learning a trade or something like that. If they were going in at 18 to the champ, and and that's the way to do it, and that's the way to save clubs a load of money. Um, yeah. And now, if you're a Charlie Atkinson, the the opportunity still exists that Wasco, you're straight in the first team. So. It, no one's no one's the, losing on a scenario like that, and, and that's what that allows for. Is that yeah. again, you can bolt straight through. Now the downside is, you know, clubs will always want eyes on their hands on. They want to. You probably see the creep of, oh, we'll just employ a transition coach, and they'll start working with people, and then. But it is again, it's hard to manage. But that's a potential solution that could yeah. be financially viable. But it maybe needs something radical, as you say, whether it's the Prem running it, whether it's the, you know, the RFU running it, whether it's a new system entirely. Again, again, I know there's been people, a draft system could be exciting um, as a fan of American sports. I'm not sure, it, again, whether it applies to the UK. Again, as a fan of American sports, it appeals to me, but um, it's it's really difficult. But, it's, but I think the point that we need a radical solution is uh, is a really good one. And, and yeah, hopefully we'll get one pretty soon. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a situation where all options need to be on the table. Um, another bit of news this week, and it's a subject I really, I really don't want to get into, but we kind of are compelled to. Um, the the schools cup, um, Cardinal Newman versus the Judd yesterday was cancelled because Cardinal Newman have been, for the moment, uh, thrown out of the cup. Though they do have the right to appeal the decision. Um, I'm just going to read this section that explains it. Um, their game against Hurstbury Point College on the 27th of September breached regulation F4 slash F5 upon a review of their team sheet. They played more players than allowed from the limit which sits outside of the regulation, i.e. they had three players that played, uh, more than three players rather, that played that came after sixth form. Um, however, they had applied for collegiate state school uh, they supplied five feeder schools as part of the process, but in fact they had more than five. It seems like administration error from Cardinal Newman. It seems like I cannot believe that we're in this situation again. The RFU's rules are the RFU's rules, and that's and that's kind of fine, and they're in for a reason. And if if the rules are broken, you've got to deal with that. What I find frustrating is that this happened last year. Mm. So the flag had already been raised. 
why are we not making sure before the competition starts that all the schools know exactly what they're dealing with and on entry that we know what's happening we shouldn't be in a situation where three rounds in we're going games being cancelled because this school shouldn't be there it's not it's it's poor governance on that front you've got to get these things done in august july we shouldn't be in a situation where in october boys are being let down you know and we get the comments online they're going oh it's because the rfu hates school state schools and all the rest of it it's like, well they actually don't to be fair to them but I can see why guys feel like that because they go, I've moved schools and now I'm just getting dumped out of the out of the cup for, for filling in a team sheet wrong kind of thing. Yeah, It's it, something needs to be done in terms of getting that organisation in early. Yeah, and look, I'm going to put, I really feel the Cardinal movement here and I completely, there will be, I completely believe that, yeah, what they're trying to do at Cardinal movement is fantastic and this will have been a mistake. Right and uh, and and it it should absolutely the administration of those competitions, you know, where it's very reliant on you know you submit your own team sheet. Those who don't know schools, um, you put everything on there. So if this has come up, it will be you know because you and you have to put where the boys were at school before until until a certain age. So it, it would have just been spotted, spotted too late. My salute and then this will again people disagree with it and let us know. My radical solution is you actually get rid of that rule so you, the rule was brought in around new school boys because of well who are now the collegiate school colston's um became what was seen as too dominant because they were bringing in too many boys yeah. um and there was this big sense of that's not fair kind of that's not cricket pretty i would say old-fashioned and anachronistic of what is a school team like you're not really at that school if you joined at 16 like, i've seen plenty of boys who've joined schools at 16 give plenty of blood and sweat for that badge and feel completely part in you know embedded in the community so i would actually get rid of that 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 just makes admin easier let's actually say you can play whatever team you want like we now have and then that allows schools like cardinal newman like yes it will allow some independent schools who recruit heavily to enter who are very strong but actually wouldn't it be fun to see them It'd be nice to see all the best schools in the same competition, um, wouldn't it? And it allows state school centres like Cardinal Newman, who have got a rugby programme where boys are at non-rugby playing schools, they can go there at 16, they can create a team and go and push those big boys and suddenly play in those games. We don't get this perception that there is this skew towards the independent sector. Yeah. Um, when bizarrely, the rule was brought in to try and well exactly to hinder those schools so there's i would get no people won't like that for all sorts of reasons i understand the arguments against it but i would say with what we've got now particularly with a tiered competition where you can choose your level of entry and i maybe that you could add another tier right there you go you could and and there was let's just get rid of it like if you're at a school at sixth form you can play for that school you can play in a national cup comp let's make it that simple that's what it is at things like St. Joe's. People love watching St. Joe's. People want to talk about it. No one cares about where the kids were in exactly. year 11 or year 9. They just want to see who's playing. That's the answer. The other answer is you get rid of cup comps because school rugby's got enough fanfare around it. But I think that does really favour independent schools because they're the ones with the existing market and the model. And if we want to grow the game in state schools, a flagship national competition, flagship cups are good for it. Unless just again let the body play to use a hackney cliche well exactly the bit the bit for me is you know you 
regulation always starts from a good place. It's people add a regulation because they're trying to fix a problem, but actually, schoolboy rugby's most of the issues that we see come from the fact that a regulation has been put in, and then it becomes it becomes enforceable. And actually, the bits that are the grey areas around the edges of it, they now have a black and white line on it, and you you don't want black and white lines when it comes to just kids playing sport. You want to, you know, if there's a way to get someone on the field, let's get them on the field. Um, and I think you know, we've seen it time and time again. You know, something like the half game rule is a great example. Yeah. It's a really good idea in principle that if you have a group of eighteen lads, they should all get to play the same amount of time. Brilliant, fine, absolutely in. But it has its flaws on something like a cup competition where maybe you get to a final and you go, we're going to bring an inflated squad because we want to give that kid who's been, he's turned up every time, but he's never got that first team appearance. We want to give him five minutes on Twickenham. You can't. You either have to not bring him or play him for an entire half in a game that maybe is just too high a level for him. And you, yeah. you know, the, these are the nuances that when you bring in a hard regulation, it just cuts out that ability to go, I'm a school teacher. I know what I'm doing in terms of managing kids and their expectations and their growth and development. And that's where those hard lines just become a problem. And I think this is kind of where we see it here. There's no room for being able to have a discussion going, there was an admin error. Hands up, sorry. And that's where it gets frustrating. Yeah, no, it, it is. And you're, again, that one around, because I think, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, I think it was Leicester Grammar were penalised around the half-game rule a couple of years ago. And that was brutal. And the half-game rule, when that, I think I'm hope lots of school teachers would be and couldn't agree with you more with their anger. It's yes, it's well intentioned. Of course, it's the right thing to do. Sometimes, though, the right thing to do is to give an under 16 10 minutes in a in the second round of a cup game as well. And losing that flexibility issue, and you can argue create safety issues in cup comps because when you do get fearful about being penalised, you know, we've seen you notice now when you see our, you know when I watch live streams of you know what looks our big cup games, you'll see a squad of 17 as opposed to a squad of 21. You're like, well, what if we get three injuries in the first 10 minutes? You know, to go back to and it's so yeah, well intentioned but probably overly officious in lots of ways is and sad. And I, I think your point about we want shade the grey. You know, laws meant to be interpretive, rugby meant to be interpretive. We don't black and white regs aren't always that helpful. Uh, and I agree. Yeah, this is one of those cases, and it's sad. And again, for everybody involved, because it will have led to all sorts of tensions. Like, be frustrating for the judge as well. Situation. You know, yeah, yeah. they want to play that game. I mean, I know they want to play that game because they think they would have won it. <laughs> yeah. They're they're having a great time this year. Um, yeah. But I don't want to labour the point because, you know, particularly for the for the Newman lads, they don't want to hear us banging on about their frustration. Um, so we'll go on to happier things uh, and the St. Joseph's Festival and another triumph. <laughs> Just yeah. a great weekend. Yeah, I mean, incredible. I guess, you know, we have to start by saying congratulations to Millfield. Um, you're going to correct me, title number nine, is that right? Title number eight uh, oh, for them, okay. and the, the first back-to-back title since the mid two thousands um, and Filton College when the Ace Colleges were just emerging. Yeah, yeah. and just so again, amazing from you know what what John, like John's legacy there. If you want to talk, you know, is is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but just great rugby throughout the weekend. You know, kind of 
Marlborough potentially stars of day one in in lots of days yeah. and expected, you know, because it's not all, and it's it shows how the format can can play into your favour in lots of ways. Played out how we might have expected, you know, a, a kind of uh, Millfield Trinity final. Uh, maybe we could have, um, uh, or not, not foreseen, but a lot of people would have predicted. But that's, you know, it kind of shows that form plays out and that, and yeah, things. But then, and some great players. But just across the piece, you know, you see RJS High Wycombe, you know, as Evie talked about, you know, being really competitive. Here's your point, you know, yeah. what you see people about, you know, have a tough day one, but you come back on day two and you. I don't think they should ship a point or they certainly should be tried. Yeah, fantastic. I think the new format works, actually, the way they've gone to kind of tiered as opposed to kind of groups again. I like yeah. that. I like that amendment. Um, not that my opinion on the format will mean anything to me, but I so, thought, no, but it I makes it a meant, difference, doesn't it? Makes a difference. I thought it meant, I thought it meant it made every game two game meaningful, which was, which again, as someone who's been there and coached, it can be hard again when you have lost the game on day two to try and make it meaningful to the boys. You know when when you've got really bruised and battered bodies, um, can be hard. You know when it has to become about the badge and press them pride, but actually the format now helps that as well. Um, but yeah, just as ever, just a kind of incredible festival, a great advert for the game. It's such a great challenge. I would have thought, you know, you saw lots of stuff on social media, great posts about people having fantastic weekends. And it's such a unique part of the game, I think, a really cool thing that Schoolboy Rugby in this country has, the St. Joe's Festival. And it's a great challenge for coaches. But I think it's also something, from my experience, that that the boys really enjoy. They enjoy the fact you stay in a hotel with four of the teams. They enjoy the, they enjoy the camaraderie of the weekend. Um, yeah, it, it was just it's just lovely to see it. It's just lovely to see it in full flight. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I think the, the all teams feed off the fact that the home side has this deep sort of connection with the with with the tournament. So you get this incredible atmosphere, but it seems as though everyone actually feeds off it, and you get this sort of building of performance, and you can see it kind of as it goes through. Um, it, you know, you could, by the end, yeah, Millfield and Trinity going at it, playing just astonishing levels of rugby, but actually the the sort of emotional ramp up they experienced as well was massive um on the field though just some outstanding rugby josh bellamy ended up player of the tournament and he between him between him and connor burn it was just incredible things going on for trinity but bellamy um he seems to have this ability that when he enters the field of play an already very good team becomes an outstanding team and when he comes off it goes back down just that little bit and that's not to take anything away from the other 14 lads it's to say everything about the influence that he's having on that team um, and then from a Millfield perspective I mean I, I know that you want to talk about the two uh, the two Welsh lads Johan Emmanuel and, and Yian Davis but not just because they're weapons I, I, want to, I want to talk about George Timmins on the blindside flank because I think he is he's an absolute animal <laughs> he just yeah he's so competitive um and he just has a presence about him that just means that he is a pain for every single person around him. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the seventh season because if I know Millfield, they are going to use him in such a specific role because they like to do that with their sevens players. He will be the kickoff, the kickoff receipt man and his mm. job will just be as a one-man wrecking ball at every single ruck. It'll almost be defensively, you're out of the shape of the system. You just go hit rucks and you go hit people and the other six of us are going to sort, sort the rest out. 
because I've seen them do that before when they've just got a guy who's just a, a kind of animal in the flank. So I'm really interested to see how he goes, but it, there are some phenomenal performances all around. Oh, great! And you think you think about what Yain Davies will, will will do in that sevens team as well. He's, you know, he's placed to, to liken him to another Welsh stroke English nine in in Harry Randall. Um, you know, in terms of just, I think the pace he plays the game at. You know, you know, he he looked very much, I think, like a. You know, quite often the place we see oh, that guy's going to play professional rugby um, and there'll be there'll probably be 10 to 12 guys who played at St. Joe's who are going to get academy contracts but you know you know Yian, Josh um, Connor maybe so got like those guys look they're going to have careers and then for me with that kind of low number bias I thought Yoan Emmanuel again you know we picked him out in in following the Clifton game you know him him and Louis Trevitt um you know that was a hell of a battle of front rows, but and and Yeoman looks like he's got an incredible career ahead of him, and it's you know it it is a place where where props have shone before. You can go back to to Vunipolo and and Henry Thomas, you know, in a, in a Millfield team. You can go back to the coach good. himself. Yes, yeah, exactly. You can go back to Shep. So there's and you know Phil Brantingham, you know, being player of the tournament in the year, yeah. where, where I would say that yeah, you would have said. Finn Baxter and Will Hobson on by the end would have you could have said that three props in that that year were the three best players there. Yeah. Um, so it is a place where props have shone, and it's nice to see a, a, another one shine again. I think we were just talking about this before we uh came on, you know, from a team point of view, what Denston did over the weekend yeah. was you know it, it, beyond individual shining. I know you're very impressed uh with, with their open side, I need to talk about it, but as, as a team, you know, I thought. You know, it's hard to go about that weekend the way you're know, playing that abrasive style of rugby. Um, but to, to come through and, and, and only just get, only not quite make the final, you know, and, and you know, great win over Wellington College in the last day of the group. And it was like, oh, we'll have Wellington rested a few boys. And then I know, you know, Wellington Trinity was a, was a tough quarterfinal in the end and, and Trinity did well to, to get through that. But, you know, Denston showed that that top of the group wasn't a fluke and, were unlucky not to make a final in the end. So yeah, I think as a obviously the team of the tournament are, are Millfield because they won it. But in terms of that, that team ethic and team approach, what had the way Denton played was, was really impressive. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we, it, the they were flagged as a dark horse kind of in the build up to the tournament. Um, but the question always was exactly what you say there: it was, can that physical style last two days at, in such an intense environment? And emphatically they answered yes um i just blown blown away by the performance levels and to be honest blown away by the performance levels across the across the tournament but when you just when you look at the tops of six teams there in terms of their finishing position millfield trinity denson college hampton wellington college kirk and grammar school that is that is a seriously high level grouping of teams there um, you know, you wouldn't bat an eyelid at any one of those having walked away with the title. So, you know, for Millfield to have done so is, you know, in the face of that kind of competition is incredible. And for Trinity to have gone as well as they did on their debut under quite a lot of pressure as well, because they arrived and everyone's going, much like Wellington in 2019, everyone's going, well, obviously you're going to, you're going to be contenders. And actually it's really hard. Yeah, it's not. It's not a case of just being good and turning up and and performing. It's it's a lot more complex than that. We've seen a lot of good teams come and struggle with the format, struggle with how to manage your players and how to to make sure that you can get through the entire weekend. Um, so hats off to them for managing that. Um, 
There was obviously also action up at Merkiston Castle, the Merkiston Festival. Um, the hosts going all the way to the final, but it was Ipswich that came through. Um, Ipswich getting some silverware to add to the to the plaudits that they've they've been getting recently. Um, but incredibly competitive competition up there. I mean, when you consider that, I'm not even trying to highlight this because they finished bottom, but it just shows you the depth of of quality that was going on. George Watson's college, one of the strongest sides in Scotland, you know, not far off Merkiston's level, finish up bottom of the pile. Merkiston finish in the final, um, just shows you the competitiveness across the yeah. the entire competition. But um, nice to see Ipswich, I think, getting getting a reward for their efforts. Um, yeah, they've they've been putting in the miles and they've been put, putting in the effort and um, they've got something to show for it now. Yeah, again, you know, <laughs> quite a nice touch in the, uh, you know, the Merkiston Festival and the kind of the, the new, kid, like, new kid on the block without Murky having been down at St. Joe's a bit and then set up their own. We've not seen another festival. Great to see it grow um, and it will continue to grow because um, I think these sorts of weekends, and again, there's space for, two, three, four of them to be happening around that time. Definitely. Yeah, there's enough goals playing. Um, really interesting then, Uncle Bit Tasty, that a team from Suffolk, you know, who uh, went and played <laughs> yeah. the title. You know, St. Joe's kind of, I guess, it's, it would be a teaser, the kind of classic noisy neighbours. Uh, uh, will be 100%. Maybe that way by St. Joe's. So, you know, will we, I don't think we'll see Ipswich at the St. Joe's Festival. They'll probably, they'll probably stick with I think, I think Merk- Merkiston have got a lock on Ipswich, haven't they? Yeah, so there's, there's kind of, and that's, but nicely, that really cool as well to see a club um, in Borough Mule kind of yeah. pushing, probably giving it to which I'll be the hardest game of the weekend um, in, in that semi final. So that that was really good. And then really good for the for the club game to kind of be competing at that level. You know, it isn't quite often school where it be stretches away from, from the club game because people tend to stay in school where they will leave club rugby but you know hats off to Borough Mule there for, for, for getting all the way to that semi-final in a really top level comp as you just said and, and for giving the, the champs arguably their the, the toughest game um, Opens up a conversation perhaps for another time about you know the, the theory the theory of maybe schools and schools and clubs competing together a bit more Um might be a way of, of helping yeah. out regions which perhaps have a, a slightly less strong state school scene um, being able to have a bit of school versus club um, competition going on every every now and then um, it's probably a deeper conversation for another time but it's a yeah. it's a it's a thought isn't it yeah one to explore and it's clearly working at that festival a format that maybe works for clubs you know in terms of you can go right this weekend put it in your calendar you know so yeah it would be Again, as I said, I think there's space for more of these. I know there's some chat around a national school. There's people want to set up a state school only one. I think, but I there's, but I'm not sure whether we need that. But there's room for more. And could we get clubs involved as well as schools? That'd be really cool. Yeah, and that sort of cross pollination would be cool. Massively. Um, so we're, we'll move on to our top five school teams of the weekend, and I guess two two locks. You know, without having to put too much thought into it, would be Millfield and Ipswich for yeah. for doing the business. I think anyone that um, anyone that comes comes out still standing deserves a shout out almost in in these tournaments and to to finish top of the pile. Um, yeah, pretty much make, makes you a lock. Uh, a third team that I think is just an absolute lock is is Sedbur going over to Dublin, taking on the might of Blackrock College, and then 
winning it in the dramatic fashion that they did last last play try conversion retaken conversion as well I think um, I believe so it's for a 25-24 victory over in Blackrock that is that's the stuff of dreams that because you know that's two of the most historic schools in the world uh, in a rugby playing sense going head to head and what an effort yeah I think those games are so exciting to see in terms of when you you know see as you, you talked about in the build up to it yeah that that Leinster school system is is so strong um, and so when you see you know to see one of the top English schools take on one of the top Leinster schools now maybe St Michael's a little bit ahead of Blackrock right at the moment but that's yeah that's back and forth over yeah. the last years and that's yeah and for it to finish in that way um, and you know for for Ben to have kick that that's a that's a memory he'll have forever what an incredible moment for him and his and his, and his separate teammates and, and everybody associated with that program so yeah, it looked to be incredible again a game you would have loved to have seen oh, you know, to have been there from, from what you were seeing it was meant to be a, you know an absolute classic like a great contest all the way through so yeah i think go with that and i'm sure i mean i think the top five is probably straightforward this week in lots of ways and you'll keep going but it's um yeah it said but that that's an incredible performance yeah, absolutely incredible and, uh, and an absolute lock in the top five. Uh, another one that impressed me, Harrow, Harrow up against Berkhamstead. Um, you know, two teams unbeaten arriving, two teams obviously that starred last year, um, and and this was going to be a real a real measure of where they where they were both at. And it, I'd say my reading from it is that what it turns out is they're both in a pretty good place. Um, but Harrow Harrow doing doing the job, um, and you know, going through the first half of term un, unbeaten as well. Um, and just performing at a really consistently high level. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, we, we talked about we talked about uh, Harry right at the start, didn't we? In our in our first podcast, and you know, said that you know they probably go in as a in a kind of preseason top two with with, um, with, with them and Clifton, um, a team who we I suspect will come on to in a, in a, in a, in a <laughs> second. Um, and I think you know. As, as well as the, the school championship teams, Trinity, as well as those four teams look like just about, they, they are, you know, this, I know that isn't quite the order from St. Joe's, but I would say that looks like the forming of a seven of a top 10 and yeah. you know, to sneak that game, what was clearly a really tight game. Um, Cause I think you, they actually won by point, didn't they? Is it, was it 33, 32? Uh, apparently 32-23 there's been oh, some confu- there's been some confusion over it though it's been it's been backwards and forwards but it was close either way it was close either way well no it's been it's been reported in some areas has been that okay. and it's been reported in others the other way so it's okay, one of the fine. two look, it's look it's clearly a really strong book Amstead yeah. size yeah, yeah we, we know that Yeah, we talked about them backing up from last year and they are um, and yeah Harrow going in and beating into half term with you know some ex- Probably now mainly the cup as 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 big as big challenges um, in terms of what it'd be interesting to see how they manage the next half of term you know uh, around that particularly interesting how Trinity man well Trinity trying to take on you know their block fixtures the cup and St Joe's but maybe their Saturday to Saturday not quite as tough as as some of those other kind of top five schools so maybe you can manage it and manage bodies um but. Yeah, I think Harrow with that result and kind of that cup run, and I don't know at what point Harrow and Trinity will be destined to meet um, in, in the draw, whether in the, in the whether in the same region of I London. Think, I think they're, they're on. Separate. I think they're on different ones. I think it's. 
I think they're on the same side as her as Hampton. Okay. Um, so I think it'll be a Harrow Hampton game, uh, which would okay. be a big one as well. You know, Hampton yeah, fly as well. They're un- yeah, unbeaten heading a, into half term too. Making a St. Joe semi final, probably not getting talked about enough by us. Yeah. You know, I mean, and they've done well from the start, you know, getting to the final at the President's Cup and flying to the first half term. So, yeah, that's it's a lot's going to be. Yeah, Harrow definitely deserved um, for that win over Burko. Massively. I've given the game away with the last one a bit. Well, well, two teams that I think are worth a shout out because. You know, I keep I keep hinting that I might chuck in a side that's that's not uh, that's not actually won at the weekend. But you know, Trinity and Trinity and Merkison Castle for getting to the finals deserve a massive shout out because yeah, they're, they're both big shifts. But yeah, I think I think we'd be agreed that Clifton Clifton getting a victory against, albeit a Hartbury fifteen, because Hartbury are funny about whether or not you get to play the the full ace side. But I think for two reasons for me. Clifton deserve their shout out on this. One is beating a Hartbury side is a is a great effort, but two, they're consistently doing it. Um, that's a th- at least two years in a row, maybe three. Um, and it's if nothing else, it is saying to Hartbury, put out the big side. You know, we are the top end of the schools game is absolutely comfortable with playing the top end of of what you've got. Let's see it, and I. I really like that from Clifton. Yeah, and I think we'd like again. I said, we don't know what Harbury side that was with it in the seventeen side. What how many get? So it's as you said, a bit secretive about what what team that is, which is a bit of a shame because yeah, what we'd love to see is is Harbury and Clifton going like unashamedly hammer and tongs, and and again Clifton are throwing that gauntlet down. Uh, it would appear, and you know. Millfield have been doing that with Ace Colleges for a while now and, and going really well. So great to see Clifton doing it. I think you make a great point about Trinity in terms of them putting you know, making that final, you know, on the back of having had to do a Saturday, Wednesday pretty close before it with with kind of cup commitments as well and stuff like that. It was it was an incredible kind of ten days if you want for Trinity rugby then. Um and they put but I think I think just in terms of because we want to, I th- we talked earlier about trying to encourage those kind of ace versus yeah. traditional pools showdowns. If you want, I think you know Trinity maybe and for, you know incredible effort boys, but maybe just would be sick this week. And then yeah. and then I think Clifton for just yeah let's and if yeah we'd love to see Hartbury kind of go at that one with with their with their full first yeah. team. Let's let's see it. So there we go. That's the top five. Clifton College, Harrow, Ipswich, Millfield, and Sedbur, and that is that's that's pretty close to getting on to top five just teams in the country yeah, this year. That, yeah, they're they're the all knocking on that door, aren't they? Yeah. Very cool. So we're going to finish off obviously with our our greatest uh, school fifteen of the decade, and we're on to the inside centre this week. Um, and one guy we've spoken about who we're we're probably going to be thinking about in an outside centre sense so if you don't hear us talking about him it's because we're thinking about ollie lawrence wearing that 13 shirt and um yeah there'll be a few competitors with him but that's why he's not in the 12 chat but yeah a number of guys who worth a mention seb atkinson who um was at bromsgrove as well as well as ollie lawrence um and he's just um i think he's just got moved on to gloucester having um, been part of the worcester warriors set up ethan grayson at northampton school for boys 
um, sort of got bumped around the back line a little bit, but found a found a home at twelve and and really excelled in that um, that cup run they had just before COVID. He was um, he was a superstar. Another guy I think sort of shone. He's he's probably raised his game as a pro rather than being a superstar as a schoolboy. But is Max Ajomo, um, who I think did some great stuff, uh, and you've got Harry Malander as well, who. Almost was a positionless player. It was like, is he a 10, 12, 15? And that carried through into the pro game. But there's always a bit of me that thought, with with that body shape, you're surely a 12. Yeah. <laughs> surely a 12. Um, but I think we sort of, I'm just going to sort of chuck out some others who, you know, impressed in their time. You know, guys like Adam Hastings, who, you know, an out and out 10, but spent most of his, most of his school time at 12 because he was playing with another international 10. Um, you know Phil Cock and the singer guys like that um, you know the two uh, the two Frasers at Bedford Dingwall and Strachan who had a great um, a great combination um, but I guess our conversation really comes down to two guys yeah so, so yeah so we, we've talked a lot about and I think it gets the different types of player which is which is really good which has yeah this is in some ways a really hard shit because you can play the position so many ways and again, what you said there about Ollie maybe links about maybe influences what we've done in terms of where yeah. we've gone <laughs> think about even though they're obviously never going to play how the team would play another one I'd give a shout out to who's right at the start of our time window was Max Clark at Bryanston who yeah, was, was pretty close to being unplayable as a, as a schoolboy and and from player to he was class but it's at well, still is a fantastic rugby player but, but yeah Roy, but, Roy Jennings inside him that was a that yeah, was a proper 10-12 yeah. just an incredible incredible Bryanston team so there's um, Cameron Redpath and, and Lennox and Yanwu are the, are the guys that we've and, it, and it's so hard to, to separate them isn't it I think it's I think when and when they I repeat something I said to you I would have loved to have seen Lennox in some ways in that centre team because mm. if you want to compare, you imagine them playing together. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, like if you, if you just want to compare, you know, like what you know, I guess medals or achievement, you know, headline achievements. Well, I think Cam pretty much won everything and you know, led Sedber to incredible achievements, great wins, and, and obviously it was the incredible Rosalind Park stuff. Um, Lennox at Christ Hospital, you know, Christ Hospital didn't manage to punch that heavyweight level, but Lennox didn't have the players around him to do that. And he made that Christ Hospital team, you know, much more competitive probably than it had a right to be. Um, and so it's it's really hard to, to to kind of compare like for like. And and they're also such different players, you know, yeah, in terms of particularly how they were how they played at eight, how they played the game at 16 to 18, you know, we're because obviously both have developed, you know, whereas Cam's developed his kind of power carrying, Lennox has developed his his kind of distribution ability, and now obviously both are superb professional rugby players. You know, as schoolboys, like whether it was by pace, power, footwork, getting a hand on Lennox was an achievement, let alone actually managing to stop him. Cam had the weapons around him to be able to bring other players into the game as well as being more than capable to to, to go himself. So you know, it's maybe where they played this school where rugby dictates the sort of players they were as as yeah, a little as bit kids, right. Um, because Lennox had to do a lot himself. Um, so we, I guess with that, well, you, you know, we've I think we've got our kind of final decision, which we, you know, what, well, what do you think? I mean, I, yeah, well, for for me, I mean, they're both 
they both are incredible players. They both were incredible schoolboy players. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, Lennox was was a dominant player. Um, you know, the it was a it was a real case of get the ball to Lennox, and and then he will get he will get to work. Um, Cam, by nature of where he was at school, I suppose to a certain extent, he had he had other weapons around him to bring in, but he was he was. Always, I remember seeing him as a you know sixteen year old with King Kings Macclesfield or a fifteen year old I suppose he would have been, and I remember seeing him playing a Scotland under sixteen game back when the um, the Wellington Festival was um, was a thing, um, and even at that age he was this I don't need to do it all myself I can bring other people into the game he he just his natural way of playing was to do that, um, but the reason I lean towards Redpath is doing big things in big moments and partly he had the ability to be in those big moments because of where he was but what he did in the Rosson Park final I thought was one of the most incredible bits of schoolboy rugby play I've ever seen he was injured um and he made he pretty he made it basically a length of the field try saving tackle and about 30 seconds later he made a sort of unusual play for him in that it was a solo effort try in the corner to secure the title and that was and he was on he was on one leg by that point and it moments like that count for something for me where it's like that this is a kid who's just gone I I need to seize this by the scruff of the neck and I can and I'm going to and I have and that just nudges it for me yeah I I think that's fair you know I think Cameron Redbath is a as a schoolboy, was a phenomenal watch. That that Roslyn Park Sevens was special, and so kind of for that moment, I think that 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 gets in there. And obviously, yeah, he's he spent his time came over from Kings Macclesfield, I think, yeah. for six yeah. form. You know, so he yeah, he'd had to fight to get his time to shine as well. So I think you know with with Lennox and as the sort of main sort of honourable mention, I think yeah, it's right that that, that Cameron get, goes in there at twelve, and that's. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Another, yeah. actually, actually, just another small nod to Cameron Redpath as well is that you know he came across from Kings Macclesfield in sixth form and became captain of Sedbur. Now they've had yeah. a few guys who who come in and become captain, but it does say something about about a guy's character to be able to come in and within a year you are held in a high enough esteem by those around you that the school feels comfortable in handing you that responsibility. Um, so you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going for him. There's a lot going for both of them, but I yeah. think we uh, we lean the way of Redpath. And yeah, done. And just wow, look at that backline now. So we've got Alex Mitchell at nine, Marcus Smith at ten, Cameron Redpath at twelve. Behind that, absolute monster of a forward pack. I'm looking forward to seeing what the outside backs might might look like because they are they're going to have plenty of ball. <laughs> we, just need, we just need to put the team together, don't we? Yeah. Right, Dan, that's enough for this week. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, who knows what we'll be talking about. We'll work it out before then. Um, but it's been great to have you back and I uh, hope you're enjoying half term. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for having me, Angus. Yeah, look, look forward to talking about lots of great, positive news stories about, about rugby next week. Fingers crossed. Sure, we're due a positive in rugby at some point, aren't we? It's gonna, it's gonna happen. Um, you can catch us on at NextGen15 across socials, and you can catch the podcast on Acast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And you can watch us if you so desire on YouTube. We will see you next time.